Okay, we're going to continue uh, our series in Ephesians, and we're on the full armor of God. And uh, I'm probably just going to devote this uh, message today to the sword of the Spirit, and then we'll talk about prayer uh, next week. And um, so open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll uh, just read through the, the full armor of God and then pick it up where we left off. And as you're turning there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time for that he anoints the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we are so grateful, Lord, that in the midst of this, uh, this country, where so many of our freedoms have been taken away, that we still have the freedom to gather in your name and, and to worship you. And remind us, Lord, that uh, your son, Jesus Christ, is the head of the church. Not the White House, not the Supreme Court, not Congress. Jesus is the head of the church. So the government wants to give us advice. They can give us advice, but we take our marching orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so remind us, uh, Lord, who we belong to. We belong to Jesus. Our bodies belong to Jesus. Our minds belong to Jesus. Our hearts belong to Jesus. And so today, uh, I pray that your word would be proclaimed from this pulpit, that you would cancel the man, that you would would humble me, that this would not be a a message uh, built on the faulty foundation of human wisdom, but that it would be your wisdom, your truth from your word. And so I pray, Lord, you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth, that you'd open hearts and minds, uh, including my own, uh, to understand your truth and to apply your truth uh, to our lives so we could be all that you called us to be. And so I pray, Lord, that I would not lead anyone astray today and show us, Lord, what it means to have the sword of the Spirit and to use it effectively in spiritual battle. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So we're going over the full armor of God. This is, uh, this is what we need. We need to have on the full armor of God if we're going to be equipped for spiritual battle. Okay, And so I'm going to read through it again so we don't lose the context. You know, Because Paul wants us, he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Uh, if you're trying to be strong in your own might, uh, you're not going to have anything to offer the kingdom of God. You're going to get demolished in spiritual battles. We've got to be strong in the Lord's might. And the way we do that is we take up, take up the whole armor of God, the full armor of God. So starting at verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, the belt of truth. I'm telling you, you're not going to be popular if you're a, if you're a, a truth seeker and a truth speaker in our culture today. Okay, uh, I mean, we, we, got a, we got a culture that tells us that burning buildings and throwing rocks at police, that's peaceful protest. And then when protesters, none of them have weapons, and they're invited into the uh, Capitol by the uh, Capitol Police, that's supposed to be an insurrection. And the only one who got shot was an unarmed lady who was a veteran and no charges 
uh, were brought. So you, you just speak the truth, and then all of a sudden our government says you're a domestic terrorist. So there's like at least 74 million. You don't vote the way they want you to vote. You're a domestic terrorist. And so we got a government that hates its own people and takes probably half of our adult people in this country and deems them to be terrorists. We've got to speak the truth. It's not going to make you popular. Now, don't get me wrong. Pick your fights. Don't, every time you hear a lie, don't think that God's calling you to shoot it down. Sometimes God's just calling us to keep our mouth shut, okay? But when it comes to the Lord Jesus, the ultimate truth, hey, that's, that's a hill we're all got to be willing to die on. But we got we to gotta have on the belt the truth. You're going to have on the belt the truth. You're not going to be popular. Uh, and then having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, don't think you're going to, you're going to take on Satan and his evil kingdom if uh, you can't obey through the power of God and for his glory, if you can't obey God's general will for all believers. Okay? You're not, you know, don't think, don't think, well, I'm going to be leading lots of people to Christ and this and that. If you're living a sinful lifestyle, I'd rather you keep your mouth shut because you're making everybody else's job, all the other believers' job, harder. And um, so we've got to have on that breastplate of righteousness. And remember, Paul calls that breastplate the breastplate of faith and love in 1 Thessalonians. So righteousness is faith plus love in action. Paul says it over and over again that we don't abolish the law by faith, rather we uphold the law by faith. Jesus, Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So don't think about obeying God by, as if it's a list of rules and regulations, the letter of the law. Think of it as the spirit of the law. I want to love God with everything I got. I want to love my neighbor as myself, and I'm going to trust in the Lord Jesus to guide and empower me through the power of the Holy Spirit to live that life of righteousness. So we've got to humbly serve the Lord, acknowledging our dependence on the Lord. That's what produces righteousness, okay? And, um, and you know, pray for humility. You know, if you're not doing God's will, Satan's got you where he wants you. But then if you start doing God's will, and then you put confidence in the flesh, in yourself, then uh, Satan's going to trip you up again. And so pray for uh, humility. Um, and so the breastplate of uh, righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, are you prepared to share the gospel of peace, the good news of salvation through Jesus, which gives us peace with God, but also peace, true, lasting, eternal peace with our Christian brothers and sisters? You know, in the Old Testament... God condemns the false prophets who say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So that's human, man-made, false peace. But true peace is acknowledging that we've declared war on God in the garden, and through faith in Jesus, we can have peace with God, and then God changes us from the heart so we can begin to love our brother from the heart, our neighbor from the heart, and, um, and that will... Uh, create true, lasting peace. Uh, above all, taking the shield of faith, 
with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. If you're, if you're trusting in yourself, you say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a godly man or I'm a godly woman or whatever it is, and, it's, and, uh, and you're trusting in your own flesh, you're just setting yourself up for a fall. Okay? You're setting yourself up for a fall. Remember that Jewish fisherman who, uh, most important night of his life, and he told Jesus, I'll never betray you, I'll never deny you. And Jesus told Peter that Satan's demanded to sift him as wheat. But Jesus prayed for him so that when he gets back on his feet, uh, feed his sheep, uh, none of us, none of us should be overconfident. Um, we've got to be humble. God never called any of us a man after God's own heart. He called David that, and David fell to the sins of adultery and murder. He could, couldn't even trust in the law. If he trusted in the law, they would have stoned him to death twice. He's the king of Israel. Nobody was going to execute him if he didn't give the order. So instead of trusting in God's law, he decided, I need to trust in God's mercy. And then he could say, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. And, um, but we need to have on the, that, that shield, hold the shield of faith. Uh, if we trust in the Lord rather than trusting in ourselves, depend on the Lord rather than depending on ourselves, then we'll be able to deflect and block uh, the, the temptations from the evil one. Then we're to take the helmet of salvation. As I said last week, if you're not saved, don't even try to engage in spiritual battle. You, you will get torn to shreds. It'll be like the seven sons of Sceva who tried to cast out a demon in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preached. They didn't really know Paul, and they certainly didn't know Jesus. And so the demons just tore them to shreds. They ran away bloody and naked. Uh, not a successful exorcism at all. And, um, and so... Uh, we need to have on that helmet of salvation. We are saved by God's grace alone. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. It was the most humiliating thing I ever heard in my life was when the gospel message was clearly presented to me at age 21, letting me know that I was a sinner, and in the first 21 years of my life, all I earned was the eternal flames of hell. If I get what I deserve, I'd be going to hell. And uh, it was humiliating, didn't make me feel good, but at that point, the Holy Spirit had been working within my heart. I knew it was true. I knew it was true. Salvation is by God's grace alone. We receive it through faith alone, through trusting in Jesus, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. And um, so make sure you have on the helmet of salvation and now we get to the second half of verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm glad that Paul made it real clear. Now, you could find out that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God by looking at other passages. But you really got to do some digging. Okay? And I'm glad Paul just came right out and made no question about it. That our only offensive weapon in spiritual battle is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. 
And so that's what we'll be talking about today. Now, after that, verse 18, Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Keep in mind, part of the full armor of God is prayer. Okay? So, just because Paul doesn't, I, doesn't illustrate prayer with some piece of the Roman armor doesn't mean it's not part of the full armor of God. It's not part of spiritual battle. Any, anything you try to do for God's kingdom that isn't preceded by prayer, uh, you pray while you're doing it and you pray when you're done, there's a good chance it's not going to amount to, uh, to hardly anything. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we'll talk about prayer uh, next week. And so what I want to talk about today is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so there we see it's the, uh, our only offensive weapon in spiritual battle. All the, all, the, all the other parts of the armor are defensive, protecting us. But when we go on the attack... It's with God's word, okay? Now look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4. And verse 12. The author of Hebrews says this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we got to understand, you know, I mean, it's it, just like if you had a really, really sharp knife, okay, and you wanted to carry it for protection, and put it in a sheath, you know, put it so, don't, um, you know, you you don't just reach in your drawer in the bathroom and try to try to find a razor blade, okay? So you got to be real careful. So what I want us to understand here first is, you know, when when I study the the Bible, when I study the Word, when you study the Word, it's just like James refers to the Word of God as a mirror. So before you go out there and say, "Man, I am going to cut." and slice and slash for the kingdom of God, just remember, if your heart is ready for spiritual service, there's been a whole lot of surgery that's been done on your heart by the two-edged sword, the word of God. And so the Bible performs spiritual surgery on our hearts. Okay? Don't, don't be that guy or that gal Every time you pick up the Bible, you're looking for verses to judge somebody else. You're, you're the only one who's got it all together. And if all the Christians in America were like you, we wouldn't even need Jesus to come back. We'd save the planet ourselves. And we get this attitude that the Bible tells me, you know, yeah, the Bible tells me why I'm messed up, but it lets me know it's other people, they're messed up, and then that causes me to be messed up. It's not really my fault. You know something? It's your fault. And I, you know, as I look out there, I doubt many of you had a father as good as my dad. Okay? Uh, you know, maybe some of you did. 
But in my eyes, my dad was the best pop I could possibly have. But had, if I had no dad, or if I had a really bad dad, in the end, I got to take responsibility. We're not all dealt the same cards. You know, they talk about like white privilege today, whatever that means. I'm telling you, man, I'd still be bagging groceries. Assuming, assuming I'd still be alive back in Essex County, New Jersey, I'd still be bagging groceries if I didn't join the Marine Corps. What kind of privilege was that? Going to Marine Corps, so at least I got a resume that shows I could do something. I could blow up things. <laughs> then I could get into law enforcement and security and then study the word for 10 years so I could eventually be a pastor. Um, we're all dealt a different hand. I, you know, if you had a rough upbringing, my heart goes out to you. But you got to get over it. And when you study the Bible, the Bible tells us not just how great God is and what we must do to be saved, but the Bible tells us how messed up we are. And we've got to be honest with that. Okay? Pray, pray for humility. Pray for humility. It's, it's like, um, you know, I'm not even five foot six. Yet, Satan had my mind so warped. I had so much pride, so much arrogance. And God's still working on me in that area. Pray for humility. And I am not telling you things are going to turn out real good for you when you pray for humility. Usually pray for humility and God shows all the ugly stuff that's in your heart. Um. But keep in mind, the word of God is the sword of the spirit, but the first place it cuts is in your own arrogant heart. Okay? So, um, you know, that would be like <laughs> if somebody was dumb enough to give their little four-year-old boy a, a, a real sword, you know, that kid would be like, ah, you know, and it wouldn't be long before... Things would be getting cut. The kids end up in the hospital, whatever. Um, you know, it's an important thing to have the word of God, the sword of the spirit. But keep in mind, it's got to clean us up first. We got to get the log taken out of our eyes so we can help other people with this, the splinter in, uh, in their eyes. So uh, God's word is a sword. Look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 15 and verse 21. Now this is when Jesus returns, riding amidst the clouds in power and glory. Okay? Uh, with all his angels riding white stallions, this is something even Satan can't duplicate. Okay? So we should not be deceived and think that Christ came back and he's in the hidden rooms or he's in the wilderness. Now when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a no-brainer. First time he came was a manger. Second time, it's going to be a lot different. Okay? And so he's going to return riding a white stallion amidst the the clouds of heaven and power and great glory. And then in verse 15, now out of his mouth, out of Jesus' mouth, goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. 
He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He's going to bring judgment to the earth, but out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Out of our mouth go words. Just the word of God. I mean, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke things into existence. God could also speak things under judgment and, and his wrath. The word of God is a sword. Verse 21, um, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And These are the, the, the nations invading Israel, and uh, the Antichrist and false prophet get thrown alive into the lake of fire, burning with, with brimstone, but out of Jesus' mouth he slays those who are invading Israel in the last days. Zechariah 14 talks about that as well. So God's word is a sword. You know, I'm kind of bummed out. I mean, smartphones, I don't know, they gave, it helped us in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of good things can be done with technology, a lot of bad things can be done with technology, but I used to like the old days when I got saved in 1981, and I'd see all these young Marines that I would invite to prayer meetings and church and Bible study, and they'd all have their weapons with them, they'd all have their Bibles with them, you know. And, and I, got, I got mixed feelings about it. You know, we get, we get mad at our students because they don't bring their Bibles with them to chapel at our school. Yeah, but their Bibles aren't bound anymore. You know, they just, they just go and they pick out whatever translation they want. And, um, and, uh, but I used to like that when you'd actually see spiritual warriors with their swords walking around. And the, the world wasn't impressed. Since, since when is the world impressed with truth? Since when is the world impressed with the power of God? They should be. But, um, but the word of God, God's word is a sword and it is our only offensive weapon in spiritual battle. Uh, the word of God cuts down the lies of Satan. I'm actually, I actually got a little bit of hope. You know, I know America's been real dumbed down throughout uh, decades of being taught neo-Marxism, socialism, being taught all this anti-Christian, uh, immoral stuff, and uh, we were getting more and more dumbed down. But then it, it seems like that there's, there's still a remnant here in America that will not cave in to lies. And so sometimes we, we just study the word and we just get a bad gut feeling about something. Say, you know, I don't think that sounds right. I don't think that sounds right. And then we start finding out, we start talking to other Christian friends around the country that they also got that same gut feeling. And so God has given the church discernment. And, uh, and so the, uh, God's word uh, cuts down the lies of Satan it defeats the forces of evil, and it gives victory to faithful disciples of Christ. Okay? The Word of God cuts down the lies of Satan, defeats the forces of evil, and gives victory to faithful disciples of Christ. Uh, point number three. And if you, 
I've got handouts out there um, by the donation box over there if you, if you need them. Um, we're not going to be able to cover all the verses that I'm going over today. So when you get home throughout the week, maybe look up uh, these verses. There's probably about 40 different passages. Uh, but in the temporary world, the Bible is eternal. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, and verses 6 through 8. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now, I got a warning of this a few weeks ago when all of a sudden, you know, I felt healthy and strong. I was lifting weights. I was breathing heavy. Probably wasn't getting enough oxygen upstairs. And, um, and I couldn't verbalize anything. And I couldn't remember names of even my, my bosses and the people I worked with, and they had to rush me to emergency to make sure I wasn't having a stroke. And they, they decided that they, the test showed negative, that I didn't have a stroke or a TIA, but um, I kind of overloaded my brain circuitry and everything shut down. And I had just preached on that like a, a week before at a uh, teacher's devotion, that the people are as grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. That was a big reminder. Do you know God wants to use me? And God wants to use you? That, isn't that great? But do you also know God doesn't need you? What if Phil Fernandez had a stroke on that day? And died like 30 years before he thought he was going to leave the planet Earth. You think the kingdom of God would take a big hit? No, I, I, think, I think if the Israelite giant, King Saul, stood head and shoulders above the other Israelites, if he doesn't have the faith to fight a Philistine giant who is a couple feet taller than him, eh, God will get a shepherd boy. Go kill him a giant on that day. God doesn't need us. We've got to be humble. We're temporary, but the word of God is eternal. Okay, in, Invest as much of your life as you can in the word of God and in prayer and being dependent on the Lord and proclaiming the God's truth because that's the only thing that's going to last. Even Ben Franklin, we talk about him like he was a big shot. He said, look, take, fill up a bucket with water and punch your fist into it. And then remove your fist, and then look. And the imprint that you left in the water, that's the kind of imprint you're going to leave on the, on the world. Now, obviously, he's exaggerating, but the fact of the matter is Ben Franklin, who wasn't even a Christian, Ben Franklin was saying, Phil Fernandez, you're not as important as you think you are. Okay? Praise God that he, he, he loves us. And he wants to use us. But don't ever think 
Don't, don't ever think that when you got saved, boy, God got a, got a winner here. No, God only saves losers. <laughs> so we become winners through him. He gives us the victory. And it's by grace. It's not something we deserve. And, uh, but, you know, you, you'll see a, a football team like Tampa Bay. They got Tom Brady. I don't like Tom Brady. But he's, he's got a bad habit of winning Super Bowls, that, that uh, Super Bowl rings that I would like to see the Raiders get. But I guess they haven't, they're not into that since 1983. But, um, but, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they probably thought, wow, we got Tom Brady. What a catch. Okay. When you and I got saved, it wasn't like, it wasn't like God was saying, wow, now we're going to do things. We got this powerful warrior on our side. No. It's like, you know, the angels rejoice. Why do they rejoice? Because another loser got saved. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we losers are in the process of becoming winners. In fact, the battle's already been won we just have a hard time living consistently with that. Okay? The day will come we'll see him face to face. Okay? You might, you might look at Phil Fernandez now and say, man, that dude's got issues. Okay? Well, yeah, I got issues now. And you should see the issues I used to have that the Lord got rid of, but I still got issues that God's working on. But wait till you see me. Wait till I see you. We see Jesus face to face. And he finishes the work that he started in us. Uh, in a temporary world, the Bible is eternal. This is why Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Okay? So, you know, we try to build nice houses. That's good. Take care of your family. Get a new car. Good. Eight to ten years is going to be a, a piece of junk, but, you know, but you do the best you can. You buy new clothes, you know, and, uh, but we're just passing through. We're temporary. We're just passing through planet Earth. How many, even if, you know, I believe that, the, that, that God created the universe in six literal days. I have Christian friends and colleagues that believe the universe is billions of years old. And I think they're wrong. I think, I think the Bible literally means that God created the world in six literal days. The world is only a few thousand years old. Okay? So even if the world is only a few thousand years old, and if you, if you live 170 to 80, maybe to 90 year, little, you're like a little speck on the timeline of human history. The people are as grass. You're as grass. Phil Fernandez, you're, you're as, as grass. You're just passing through. Your dad, Joe Fernandez, great man, but he was as grass. 2009, he left the planet Earth for the arms of Jesus. I'm as grass. You're as grass. But the word of God. Stands forever. Don't ever forget that. Okay? We, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Lord is transforming us, but it's, we want less and less of us and more and more of the Lord Jesus. And so we cling to the eternal 
and we proclaim the eternal word of God. What an honor, what a privilege, what a blessing to be able to proclaim and share God's eternal truths with others that we come in contact with. So in a temporary world, the Bible is eternal. We get to share something of eternal value with others as we share the gospel message and we share God's truth. Uh, Number four, uh, the Bible is totally without errors. It can be trusted. The Bible should be, everybody's got, got an authority. Your, your authority is whatever it is that you've submitted your life to. You judge everything else by that authority. To some confused people, it, it might be the Pope or church councils. To some confused people, it might be the government or social media. Okay, To some really confused people, it's themselves, whatever their gut feeling is, their wisdom. But if you're a true born-again believer, the authority, the final authority in your life is the Word of God. If you don't understand that, you're not going to effectively use the sword of the Spirit. Proverbs verses 30, uh, uh, chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, Proverbs 30, 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Look at Joseph Smith. Uh, he added all these extra books to the, to the word of God, and you got contradiction after contradiction after contradiction. The Quran, contradictions all over the place. Don't add to God's word, or you'll be proven a liar. But every word of God is pure. You know that word in the Hebrew? Some translations will see every word of God is tested. I I thought it was pure. You get another translation. Every word of God is flawless. Okay? Which is right. The fact is they're all right. The Hebrew language paints a picture with words. And and if if we tried to get the fullness in the English language, in contemporary English... If we tried to get the fullness of the Hebrew words, uh, our Old Testament would probably be ten times the size it is now. We wouldn't even understand a sentence because each sentence would be so long. Okay, Just get the Amplified Bible. Uh, they put in parentheses all the, all the things that each word means and, it's, and it just could really confuse you. At least they bracket it out so that you could find the, the continuity of the idea there. But, and so you could translate that every word of God has been tested and proven to be without flaw and proven to be completely pure. Okay? With this so-called vaccine, this injection, some of you have gotten it, some of you have not gotten it. I just want Americans to make the choice. Okay? And one of the reasons why I frown upon it, it hasn't been tested. It's being tested right now. You read the Israeli study, I'm not sure it's passing those tests. Um, But people, uh, Americans, will trust in, you know, some guy comes up with it, even the church, even people in the church, we just trust in the newest idea because it sounds cool. Okay? Let me tell you something. 
This, the Word of God, has been tested, and it has passed that test. So this is our final authority. Everything else, I don't care if your name is Joe Biden. I don't care if you call yourself uh, the Bishop of Rome. I don't care if, you, if you're Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum. I could care less. I don't care if you're Bill Gates. You got billions and billions of dollars. I don't care. I'm going to test what you say with the Word of God. Do you realize how pleasing it is to me to hear so much biblical truth coming from our people? When I, I could just walk around. I could just get a... You know, after I preach, man, I'm... I'm ready for a donut and a cup of coffee. Kai, I hope you got donuts down there. But uh, sometimes I'll settle for a, a cookie. But I'm just relaxing. But I'll hear all these conversations going on around me. People talking biblical truth. I'm not exaggerating. That's something that will get you locked up in the very near future. In fact, I think there's people locked up. You can make a case... There's people locked up right now in North America, especially in Canada. You know, I think, oh, I'm real brave because I'm preaching messages like this in America. If I preach a message like this in Canada, pray that I wouldn't water it down for fear of the Gestapo knocking at the door or knocking down the door. Um, but every word of God has been tested and proven to be true. This is our authority. When we hear ideas of men and women, they might sound good, they might even be true, but test it with the Word of God. This is our final authority. How are we going to see through the lies of Satan if we're not grounded in God's truth? Okay? And so it's totally without errors. It can be tested. Jesus said in John chapter 10, 34 and 35, the, the Scriptures cannot be broken. What he's saying is, look, if God said it, it's there. You better deal with it. Maybe you don't understand it. Maybe you're having a hard time with a passage. But if it's there, the scriptures cannot be broken. Uh, Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Titus 1, 2 tells us it's impossible for God to lie. God's word is totally without error. By the way, you're going to see a lot of passages, and we probably won't be able to look at, maybe only be able to look at a couple of them, Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is all about, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Good guy, what, 176 verses, I think? And, um, and it's all about the Word of God. It's called the word, Thy Word, the Law, the Precepts, the Statutes. It's just that the author doesn't want to bore you by saying the Word of God over and over again. Okay, but the Jews called the Old Testament the law. Sometimes they called it the law and the prophets. Sometimes they called it the law and the prophets and the writings. But you want to learn about God's word, read Psalm 119. You get a lot of information, but it, God's word uh, has been settled. It is eternal. It is true. It can be trusted, and it ought to be our final authority. You know, when I'm writing religious exemptions for people who are in jeopardy of losing their jobs, and sometimes they get accepted, um, 
Sometimes they don't. Um, but what, what you could sum up those religious exemption letters in just one one sentence. God's word is our ultimate authority. And we don't care what the government says or what our employers say. If we believe from our understanding of the scriptures we shouldn't do something, we're not going to do it. Okay? Now, um, that's the way all our decisions should be. And the world's going to understand sometimes. uh, Say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When we get something from God's word, the world sometimes will understand. But there's a lot of times when the world doesn't understand. And the world wants us to embrace their lies and proclaim their lies. And No, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to stick to God's word. Uh, God's word is totally without errors. It can be trusted. It, it is our authority. Uh, number five, the Bible, the word of God, equips us for every good work. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul wrote this when he was about to die to his young disciple Timothy, trained the guy for leadership. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. It says, All scripture, not some, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. Theopneustos in the Greek, it means God breathed. The word of God. God breathed the words out. You know, God guided human authors to record his word totally without error. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means the scripture, the ultimate author of scripture is God. And God used them human authors to record his word, but the ultimate author is God himself. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's why you're not going to see me on Sunday mornings preaching to you from the newspaper or from a magazine, okay? It's my job to preach to you from the Word of God. We had a lady that used to go to this church, and she moved to Texas to be with her relatives, and she was freaking out. She she was Facebooking and emailing, and I'm going to this church. My whole family goes to this church, and they don't preach from the Bible. So I was like, whoa. You need to get out of there. They don't preach from the Bible. So I went to their website. Solid statement of faith. I looked at all the sermons. They're preaching from the Word of God. You know, this lady, God bless her, um, but um, very innocent. Um, The pastor didn't hold a Bible in his hand. The people didn't hold Bibles. Everything was PowerPoints. Saturated with scriptures. And, but she thought because it wasn't a Bible in her hands that maybe, maybe it didn't count. And so I, I reassured her that, you know, there's human tradition and, uh, and that changes with time, but God's word doesn't. And uh, the church he was going to, the, those guys were, were preaching, preaching the word. But all scriptures given by inspiration of God are profitable for doctrine, for teaching. We're going to teach from the word even if it's up on PowerPoints. Uh, for correction. So, well, you know, I think all religions lead to God. No, 
No, we need to correct you on that. That's heresy. Uh, for reproof, we've got to correct people's behavior. What you're doing is a sin. You've got to live consistently with God's word. What you're believing could be false. And then for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible equips us for every good work. And that includes using the sword of the Spirit for spiritual battle. Okay? Uh, number six, we are to test all things with God's Word. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Test all things, hold fast what is good. Well, what do we test everything with? With the Word of God. You know, Francis Schaeffer wrote many books, but his first one was the, the God who is there, and then the next one was He is there and He is not silent. Okay? Look, God has not been silent. God gave us His Word. And if God has spoken, that should settle it. I don't, I'm going to uh, date myself here, but I remember the old commercials, I think about investing, where these guys would be all wearing suits, all these business guys in a restaurant, and they say, well, my broker says this, and my broker says that, and then one guy says, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and he says, and then everybody turns to listen, you know? When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens, okay? Well, guess what? That's baloney. But when my God speaks... When my God speaks, you better pray that everybody listens. Because he is the authority, and he has given us his authoritative word. So we're to test all things with God's word. Titus 1.9 tells us that the overseer, the lead pastor, the, the senior pastor of a church, should not only be able to encourage his people in sound doctrine but also needs to be able to refute those who contradict. Okay? So a, a good shepherd is not just supposed to give good things to the sheep and feed them. The good shepherd also carries around with him a, a rod or a staff to beat down the wild beast who try to attack uh, his flock. And so we, the pastor needs to refute those who contradicts. So we test all things with God's word. Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. Matthew 15, Jesus told the Pharisees, why do you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions? So I hope and pray that Trinity Bible Fellowship, you know, humans make traditions, okay? But hopefully none of the traditions we build will be traditions that contradict the word of God or nullify uh, the word uh, of God. You know, in a debate about marriage and divorce, Jesus just said, you know, he basically said, I don't care what your rabbis are saying. Have you not read? Or in the beginning, it was this way. God created the male and female. Okay, well, God is joined together. Let no man separate. Um, Jesus went to the word. You know, Jesus could, could have said anything. Anytime Jesus opened his mouth because Jesus is God, it's automatically the word of God. Yet, what did Jesus do? 
when he was tempted by Satan, he chose to quote three times. Three temptations coming at him, and he had the shield of faith, and he had the sword of the Spirit. He quoted three times from the book of Deuteronomy to refute the temptations um, of the evil one when Satan tempted him in the wilderness in Matthew 4, um, 1 to 11. And um, so Jesus himself went to the word of God as the final authority. Who are we to do otherwise? Uh, Then we're told to meditate on God's word daily. Um, Look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. First three verses. Blessed is the man... I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Even even our Christian brothers call us names if we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly nowadays. It's like, come on, guys. Come on, gals. Let's start trusting God's word again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Again, that's a word for God's word. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, For me to prosper and for you to prosper probably looks a lot different than the prospering of Bill Gates. Okay? Don't always think prosperity is always financial prosperity. What's important is spiritual prosperity. God's, by the way, God's calling some of us to be wealthy. God's calling some of us to be middle class and God's calling some of us to be poor. What we got to do is we got to be all that God called us to be and then be content in whatever social class we find ourselves. But if we want to be blessed of God and want to be spiritually prosperous, we have to meditate on God's law day and night. So we're to meditate on God's word daily. Okay? Now, Hindu New Age meditation, you surrender the control of your mind. You stop thinking. If you surrender the control of your mind, you're going to open the door for evil spirit entities to come in and take control. Okay? You're going to open up yourself to uh, demonic uh, obsession, demonic possession. Okay? Biblical meditation, you empty your mind of your own sinful, selfish thoughts, but you it's not empty. You focus your mind on principles, truths from God's word. Okay? Uh, I love the navigators here. Um, you know, and as we already mentioned, point number eight, we're to quote scripture when we're tempted. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy three times in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, when he was tempted by Satan. So in order to quote scripture, you've got to meditate on scripture. As Jesus, as an infant, didn't have any verses memorized in his human nature. He knew everything in his divine nature. 
But he grew in wisdom and understanding, we're told in the Gospel of Luke. So Jesus had to memorize Scripture. So if we're going to quote Scripture when we're tempted, you know, King David said in Psalm 119, 11, Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. You can't treasure God's word in your heart if you don't know it. You can't know it if you didn't memorize it. I'm going to, I'm going to close with this, and we're going to just, this is just too important, because right now we got, we got large quantities of the professing church in America today are trusting in the wrong authority. Okay? And, uh, you know, we just take our kids and just throw them to the neo-pagan, neo-Marxist to give them a good pagan education. And we trust too much in the authority of man. But it's, I'll pick it up here next week. But I just want to close with the navigator studies. For the first three years of my walk, I didn't, I didn't go to Bible college until about three years after I got saved. The first three years, I get, did navigator studies. Carl knows about the navigators. We've got navigators in it. They're all over the place. They help you navigate through God's word. Okay? They want to be workmen who are not ashamed because they handle accurately the word of God. They diligently study the scriptures. Okay? And, um, but they have, one of the first things they teach you is this hand diagram. And on each of the fingers, the thumb and the four other fingers there, they give you something, and it's about our relationship with the word. We are to hear the word properly preached. It amazes me how many Christian friends I have that come to me for advice and then end up by saying something like, gee, I wish my pastor would, would, would preach to me to the word. And I'm, you know, I don't say the obvious, but it's like, why are you even going there? And uh, we need to hear the word properly preached. And we're spoiled. Uh, somebody came in today. Was that you, Shirley, who said David Jeremiah was really preaching up a storm this morning? You know, you hear Charles Stanley, David Jeremiah. You can hear some great preachers out there. Now, you can hear some heretics, too. So you've got to be grounded in the word. We need to hear the word properly preached. We need to read the word for ourselves and then read it in depth enough to study it. That means you read it long enough to really try to figure out what it's saying. And you've got to pray that, you know, that God opens your eyes to behold wonderful things from his law. Psalm 119, verse 18, that the Holy Spirit illuminates your mind and understands truth. We need to hear the word properly preached, read the word, study it, and then we need to memorize passages from Scripture. That's what the Jews did when they meditated. That's the final thing, is meditating on God's word. So that God, God renews our minds that way. The Jews, it was so hot, there was no place of shade except for fig trees. They would sit down under a fig tree and meditate on God's word that they had memorized from reading and studying a scroll, probably in the synagogue. Okay? And so... The sword of the spirit. You show me a marine who can't, doesn't know how to use his M16. I'll show you a marine who isn't going to do his job. He shouldn't even be a marine. Um, but what about us? How are we with the sword of the spirit? Do we hear the word of God preached um, accurately? Do we read the word of God and pray that God gives us understanding? Do we study the word of God? Do we memorize scripture? Do we meditate on the scripture? 
so that our minds are renewed, we replace our sinful conclusions with God's truths. And we put on the mind of Christ. We're going to pick up the study on the sword of the Spirit next week, and then we'll get into the importance of prayer for spiritual battle as well. But I want us to think about that this week. You know, take one of these handouts, go over the passages. But how are you doing? If you were a Marine and this was your rifle, would you even qualify? Do you know Marines who are marksmen? They get made fun of by other Marines. Because marksman means you passed. If you're a sharpshooter, you don't get made fun of, but you don't brag about it either. Because you know there's a big chunk of Marines who are experts. When they qualify with the M16, I mean, you're talking like in the old days, 232 points out of a possible 240. You know? From 500 yards out, you might have hit, hit a human-sized silhouette and nicked the ear and cost you a few points. You're supposed to hit at center mass. God's called us to a battle way more important than any battle United States Marines could go into. If you were a Marine, and the Word of God, if this is your, was your weapon, would you qualify? Would you be just a marksman? Maybe a sharpshooter? Hopefully we'll all be experts. But uh, it's a sort of spirit. It's not for us to slice up each other. We might need to encourage a brother or sister to rightly interpret the Word of God. But God has not given us the gift of judging. We don't come in and talk down on everybody. and Let God's Word perform that surgery on your heart that is needed. And then you take that weapon, the sword of the Spirit, and you engage in spiritual battle with the forces of evil. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you so much for your living word. Your...